Are you living an abundant life? Jesus came to give us eternal life, yes, but also an abundant life here and now, overflowing with the fruit of the Spirit. The Abundant Life Podcast encourages and challenges Christians to spiritual change and growth by applying biblical principles to everyday life. Podcast hosts Sasso Mendez and Ben Ariano discuss various topics that are helpful for Christians and true to the scripture and bring a generous dose of humor. Visit AbundantLife.fm and subscribe to get notified of each new episode. That's AbundantLife.fm. How does our hypocrisy and judgment get in the way of our work of justice? The hypocritical piece of, you know, oh man, yeah, I love Jesus and all these things and I talk about him, but like, I don't really, you know, that whole justice thing is just too hard, right? I mean, that just doesn't go together, right? Like if we are followers of Christ, like this is our call, this is our mission, it is the gospel. Like it actually is the gospel in and of itself. And so, I mean, there can't be a separation in that. The gospel has nothing for you to do excepting the knowledge, right? And then there's a place where you have to go, all right, I now believe what you announced to me, what happened to Mm -hmm. Jesus, who he is, what he did. I actually believe that to be true for me. If you then add in something to do to that, you cannot say that that's gospel because now you're adding something to news. News has no potential. It isn't there is, oh, this might happen. It's what has been done. Yeah, and I love just the idea that um, this justice optional gospel that you're referring to, um, it's not optional. God is really concerned with the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed. I liken it today in, in regards to people feeling as though they're kind of doing their part. And so it's the, this optional thing, like I'm kind of doing my part, I, I'm treating everyone equally and fairly, um, I, you know, I'll give up a parking spot if I need to, <laughs> whatever that looks like where we kind of feel like I'm doing my Christian duty and so I don't need to extend it beyond what I'm currently doing. Fair treatment is kind of a baseline for justice. It's not, it's where we start, it's not where we end up. There are a specific group of people that God says, This is going to take, this isn't just charity, this is advocacy, and that's going to take time and energy and margin in our lives, and it's not an option whether or not we want to be a part. The error that we're talking about today is the tendency not to just tell unbelievers about Christ, not just to tell believers about Christ, but also to tell them it's faith in this Christ plus something else, because that Mm -hmm. something else is going to help cure the malady of society or the church culture or something like that. If I sit back and I ask myself, why do good men who have been trained well, who are not foolish, who are, how does Paul describe them? They are not novices, right? Sure. How is it that they are tripped? Why does it happen? And I think it is good intentions but not driven by gospel passion, right? So their passions are more driven by a morality. In other words, when we are saved, when we are brought into the kingdom of the Father, he, He assures us. I mean, I love this. This is Colossians and Ephesians. Everything we could ever possibly need, this is 2 Peter 1, everything we need to, one, cleanse our sins and then declare us perfectly righteous in the eyes of God has been granted to us. And that's, we live in that status, right? Status forward. 
it is then there we go and proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God that can transform other people's hearts and minds. That's our mission, except for it feels like today, instead of uh, understanding the clarity of the gospel and the mission of the of the believer, it's like we feel like our mission is to moralize everybody. Like every country and every person, whether they're a believer or not, the main mission is to, to show them that their morality is wrong. And it's like that becomes the mission. And so I think this is why this conversation is so important, is that if we lose sight of the gospel and we lose sight of what the purpose of Christianity is about, we're going to start smuggling works in, and all of a sudden it's we are about transforming culture to be more moral than we are preaching the good news that's offensive that you can't save yourself. Sure. And not only are you putting the cart before the horse when you talk that way, in reality, the morality of Christianity is what, not what makes it utterly unique. It is right. the message of Christianity that makes it utterly unique in the scope of world religion, and that's Christ for us. Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc., to Scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I'm your host, Malbatos. May this episode bless you and bring glory to God. Hello, ladies, and welcome to another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. So glad you could join me. If you are new, welcome. Today, we're continuing to look at If Equipped study titled Arise, a study on God's heart for justice. Last episode, we looked at this study's foundation for why we are to seek justice. Arise presents four reasons as its foundation for justice. One, all men are created in God's image and therefore deserve dignity. And two, God is just. It is his nature. Now, while Arise makes the claim that all are children of God and the poor, marginalized, and oppressed need the image of God restored to them, they do not teach what the Bible means by human beings being made in God's image, the corruption of Adam's sin and its effect on that image. Neither do they differentiate between children who are under God's wrath and those who are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And... They merely reduce sin to brokenness, teaching that sin simply broke humanity, resulting in injustice in the world instead of scripture's clear teaching that Adam's sin resulted in the nature of humanity to bear the image of God in enmity against him, to bring glory to himself, to serve himself instead of bringing glory to God and serving God. It is from this nature that all are born children of wrath and need to be saved and made into a new man. They teach that God is just, but do not teach that he is an infinitely perfect being and that his justice flows from his attributes, his holiness, sovereignty, righteousness, mercy, love, etc., and that from these attributes comes God's law. The law reveals to humanity where we do not love God and love neighbor, and by it we come to know that condemnation comes to all who transgress God's law, and God's perfect justice will be given to everyone. 
The dangers, if arise, presents by ignoring these scriptural teachings leaves justice to be determined subjectively and or socially, because it's rooted in the nature of man, that all men bear God's image, therefore deserve dignity, leaning on man's philosophy, imaginations, and opinions. And while Arise teaches that God is just, without God's very word to reveal how he is just, man and society will decide what it means to be just. Today, we will look at the other two foundations, if Arise presents, for why Christians, especially Christian women, are to fight for justice. And that is, the third is, as followers of Christ, we are the light of the world and must, quote, push back the darkness of injustice, end quote. And four, that we were restored to restore the world through reconciliation. In essence, the mission of the church is to bring justice and reconciliation into this world. All of this, at first glance, sounds biblical. It sounds true. The statement that Christ followers are the light of the world and are to push back against the darkness is a biblical statement. Where we start to see problems is when we begin to understand what arise means by being lights and what arise teaches about how we are to push back against the darkness. Arise has a specific teaching in this study about what it means to be a light. And essentially what we want to know is, does Arise's teaching match up to Scripture's teaching? So let's dive in. Let's assess what Arise teaches about what it means to be a light in the world. Before Arise talks about what it means to be the light of the world, it talks about the darkness. Under day three, titled The Hope of Light Overcoming the Darkness, we read this. Quote, when sin entered the world, brokenness marked everything, including us. Because of this, injustices began to occur. From the time of Genesis 3 onward, we have seen this in every generation and individual. Injustices continue to happen throughout our world today, in this very moment. From human trafficking to women being abused or looking down on solely because they are female to judging someone based on the color of their skin, it is all an attempt to remove the image of God and the dignity that every human deserves. In the same way, God does not turn a blind eye to evil. We must not look away from the evils of injustice." End quote. They continue to list acts of injustice such as human trafficking, land illegally stolen by the rich and powerful, abuse of women, gender inequality, and racial hostility. Quote, Barna research shows that the vast majority of adults agree there is a lot of anger and hostility between ethnic and racial groups in America, 84%. Clearly, we have some work to do in this area. An overwhelming 98% of pastors believe churches play an important role in racial reconciliation, yet only half say racial reconciliation is among their own church's top 10 priorities. Why such a disconnect? The statistics above are just scratching the surface when it comes to injustices committed around the world. The thought of the injustices, the trauma, the lives taken, or people negatively impacted forever, the generational impact, 
the lack of respect for God-given dignity. It's all horrific. It's hard to make sense of it all because it is senseless. It is evil and filled with darkness. When we feel defeated, believing things will never change or that our efforts are in vain, we must remember the truth of God. Jesus is the light of the world and he has overcome. Justice in Jesus ultimately wins. And as we work to do justice in our communities, we can look to our hope as our ultimate destination. End quote. Now, the implication here is the lack of involvement within the church and the goal of Arise is the spurring of the church, especially the women in it, to work on bringing justice in these areas. And these are good works that individuals within the church do, should God lead them to. But the social gospel equates and even elevates acts of justice and compassion, proclaiming it is the purpose of the church. Its mission is to spread the kingdom by bringing equality, freedom, and peace to the world. Arise does this when it makes the claim that Jesus is the light of the world, not meaning Jesus himself, saviors of sinners who deserve justice, but savior of certain people groups, those that are poor, oppressed, and marginalized. We will continue to see this in the next episode as I show you and expose what If Equip Arise teaches about Jesus. But ultimately, that Jesus will make all things right, and we are to be his examples as we bring justice to our communities. Salvation and regeneration becomes more about a Christian's work to set people free, advocating for the oppressed, etc., as we, quote, put on the new man, quote, to rescue people from slavery, oppressors, and abusers. It is a social salvation. A salvation not one already for all who would believe, but one for the world, one that Jesus brings through us and will be complete when he returns. Notice what is darkness according to Arise. Rape, human trafficking, women being looked down on, judging based on skin color, the powerful stealing land, gender inequality hostility between racial groups, etc. And these things are most certainly dark evils. But here we are, in our sinful flesh, with this tendency to look at this list of evil and go, well, I have never done any of that. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't make me like the tax collector, or the human trafficker, or the racist and abusers. Darkness Evil, according to God, is transgressing his nature, the standard, the law. To arise, darkness is outside of us, makes us broken. It does not reside within us and is not brought forth from each individual who walks in their flesh. Scripture talks about darkness and light a lot. It is used to literally mean light and dark, but also talks about a light or darkness that is spiritual. Jesus talks about light and darkness residing in a person. In Luke 11, after Jesus proclaims to the Pharisees and lawyers that before them stands a man himself who is wiser than Solomon and a greater prophet than Jonah, he gives an analogy that he uses to teach them about their eye of understanding. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand 
so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright, as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Luke eleven thirty three to 36 Just like the eye absorbs the light of a lamp by which we see and are guided in the way we walk, we have a spiritual eye. That spiritual light is either in darkness or absorbs the light, which is Christ. Our spiritual eye, so to speak, is our knowledge and understanding. It is what we know and what we understand about Christ the light that guides us and causes us to walk a certain way, to live a certain way, to live righteously, to live by faith in what we know and understand about him. Darkness is to be without this understanding. To have the light is to have Christ, to know and understand all that he has done, and to therefore walk in that understanding. But Jesus describes this further. We continue reading. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him, so he went in and reclined at a table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. Luke eleven thirty seven to 41 Here Jesus points to the darkness, the greed and wickedness within. Men such as the Pharisees and lawyers, whom he was dining with, made a point to wash the outside of their bodies through laws that they created to keep them clean. Jesus, in this passage, rebukes what they believed to be acts of cleanliness which kept them righteous. After pointing out that their eyes must be opened or healthy to receive the light of the world so they may walk in the light, Jesus exposes how the Pharisees and lawyers were still blind and walking in darkness, by not taking the light of God's word and not shining it upon themselves to clean the inside. He urges them to cleanse their heart, and then everything will be clean for them, even the outside. Just as a healthy eye will absorb the light well and assess the room so that we may not stumble and see where we are going, the spiritual eye lightened by the word of God will observe and assess our own spirit. In Matthew 5, Jesus begins his greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, describing the person who has assessed their spiritual need, those who have been reviled because of their dependence on Christ, describing them as the salt and light of the world. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What makes one salt and light of the world? The one who is poor in spirit, who mourns, are meek and desire peace, first and foremost with their God, because they hunger and thirst for righteousness. The light of God's word has shone in their heart and exposes their wickedness, their sins, and in acknowledgment of their need, they run to a Savior who fills all those needs. Because they love their Savior and proclaim their Savior, they may be persecuted, but they are the salt and light of the world. Being light in this context is not about bringing justice and compassion to the world. Even non-believers can do that. What they do not do is look at their spiritual need through the light of the world, the word of God, Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. John three sixteen to 21 Ultimately, Christ calls all of his disciples to be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Titus 1, 13-15 Christ, who is the light of the world, the word of God made flesh, exposes the defilement within by the law, cleanses us, and is a light to our path, showing us how to walk by faith in him. And it is what we read in scripture written by the prophets and apostles, whom God sent to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
Acts 26, 17-18. But to arise, darkness does not first reside within the person, but is the injustice within the world. And we are called to bring Jesus' light as we fight for God's kingdom by bringing restoration to earth. Quote, As followers of Christ, we have the light of the world within us. Therefore, we must focus on the light rather than the darkness and push back the darkness of injustice with the light of Jesus. End quote. Week 1, Day 3, The Hope of Light Overcomes the World. What does Arise mean when they say we have the light of the world within us? Listen to this clip as Vivian Mabuni interviews Jesse Titmore talking about Christ being in us and what it means to have the light of the world. Uh, I love how this study is starting off with the character of God and how he is a God of justice. And then today we're looking again about um, the idea that we're restored to restore. And what strikes me is Paul in his writings, uh, five times he talks about the idea of Christ in us. And then 164 times he talks about us in Christ and what it means for us to have a relationship in Christ. And because we're in Christ, it actually increases the influence that we have in the world. And that idea then that we're restored so that we can be a part of restoration of others. So I love how you said that we get to be a part of it because I do believe it's an invitation mm -hmm. that the Lord is extending to us to take part in his work, the work that he's doing. So look how in 2 Corinthians 5, it talks about taking off the old self and putting on the new self. That is the ability that only comes in Christ and through Christ, right? So when we're dead in our sins and trespasses, we can't take anything off or on. Mm. But when we're made alive in Christ, then we have the invitation to strip off those that sin and death and then to walk in the light. And walking in the light means being vulnerable in community. Mm -hmm. And it means it's allowing Christ to bring healing and restoration to where we've been hurt, to where, where when sin has been acted out towards us, that we get to find healing in Christ and we get to find restoration. To walk in the light according to Arise means to be vulnerable in community. It means allowing, quote, Christ to bring healing and restoration to where we've been hurt, where when sin has been acted out towards us, we get to find healing in Christ, we get to find restoration, end quote. The reading for the study gives more. Quote, because any form of injustice is inherently evil, it is easy to focus on the immense amount of darkness and become overwhelmed by it all, to have hope to continue to fight for the image of God to be valued in every human, we must remember that Jesus has the ultimate victory over sin and death. Eventually, Jesus will return and make all things wrong right. He will restore shalom, peace, wellness, and wholeness. End quote. So again, the talk of darkness and evil is outside of ourselves. And so to be in the light is to fight against the darkness and evil that is out in the world. It is to work to cleanse the world of evil, which is not a bad thing. But to focus on this is to cleanse the hands as the Pharisees did and neglect the inside. Arise teaches that to be light in this world is to work for social equality and justice. But scripture talks about what it means to fight the darkness and walk in the light. 
Paul, in the letter to the Ephesians, urges them to put off their old self, be renewed in the spirit of their minds, and put on the new, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4.22-23 To put away falsehood, speak truth with his neighbor, be angry but do not sin, to work honestly with their own hands, to provide for their own needs and the needs of others to speak to others in ways that build up, not to grieve the Holy Spirit, and put away all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice, to be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another, as they are to be imitators of God and walk in love. Because Christ gave himself for us, they were to avoid all sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolishness, and crude talk. All these idolaters did, and they do not inherit the kingdom of God, and the wrath of God is against the sons of disobedience. Ephesians 4:25 to 5:6. And then Paul talks about the darkness and the light. Therefore, do not become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul goes into even more detail, describing how one walks in the light in our roles, encouraging the wives to submit to husbands, husbands to love wives, children to obey parents, fathers not to provoke children, bondservants to obey masters, and masters to not be threatening, and remember that they too have a master who shows no partiality. This is how we fight against the darkness. And if I am cleansed by Christ and am clothed in his righteousness, I will be pure and act in that righteousness. I will be sanctified, that is, to walk in the light. Jesus is so very concerned with justice, yes, but it always starts with the individual. And the righteousness the individual either has on his own or the righteousness he has in Christ. Arise continues in week one, day three. Quote, no more death, mourning, suffering, or injustices committed. He will prevail over the darkness. Until Jesus returns, we live in the tension between longing for the day he will bring a forever end to evil and injustice, and fighting for God's kingdom and restoration to be done on earth as it is in heaven today." One of the fathers of the social gospel movement, 
Walter Rauschenbusch, stated that, quote, the kingdom of God is not a matter of getting individuals to heaven, but of transforming the life on earth into the harmony of heaven, end quote. Social gospel, and especially social justice proponents, highlight the injustices committed against social groups and teach that one of Jesus' goal was to abolish these injustices or disparities, thereby bringing unity. Arise believes that we bring the kingdom to earth, quote, as followers of Christ, we strive to help build God's just kingdom here on earth, to care as Jesus did for the marginalized, the poor, the discriminated against, and the outcasts, end quote, week one, day one. The building of the kingdom is not through the proclamation of the gospel by which men enter into it, but is brought through the care of the poor and outcast. It is brought through justice, undefined, and acts of compassion. As you heard in the intro clip, justice is the gospel to arise. And the mission of the church is to bring compassion, equality, and justice by reconciling all men to each other. Christ did come to unite and make one new man, Ephesians 2.14, and ultimately will bring justice in the consummation of his kingdom. But in Christ's kingdom, the church, that unity is a spiritual one which abolish in his flesh the laws of commandments and ordinances. The true separation is one between God's people and Satan's people. God rescued the Jews and set them up as a nation to be his people who were to be blessed by him when they obeyed his commandments. All others did not have the law and word of God, therefore they did not have God. This separation was removed, is removed, by Christ who now reconciles both those who had God's law with those who didn't, reconciling both of them to God in one body through the cross by which he extinguished their hostility. Ephesians 2 describes the unity among the kingdom of God and continues in verse 17 stating, And he, Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Verses 17 to 22. No acts of compassion or even acts of justice will ultimately unite people. Our sin nature precludes that from happening. Only the gospel actually unites, and it unites us spiritually while keeping diversity. Ethnic differences will exist, but we will be unified by God's word in Christ. Class differences will exist, but we will be unified through God's word in Christ. Gender and role differences will exist, but we will be unified in God's word in Christ. 
This study places justice above the proclamation of the gospel. Oh, the gospel is mentioned, as we read in week one, day two, but it is the door that gets you in to accomplishing the real work. It is given to remind you that God is a God of justice, for justice is the more important work. It is what Arise believes is the ministry of reconciliation, and this is what we're going to look at next. Purpose-driven theology is prominent in the IF ministry. I believe that because IF mainly teaches purpose-driven theology, the social gospel has easily been able to enter the churches. In the same way, the study exemplifies the purpose-driven gospel, but narrows the purpose. Instead of the traditional Reformed view that the church's purpose is to give God glory through faith in and proclamation of Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension, all which is to be done in our vocations, purpose-driven theology puts a large emphasis on finding your purpose, a purpose that will bring change to the world. Social gospel narrows that purpose to acts of social justice. In essence, you are saved to love the world by healing and restoring it. Ohio minister Washington Gladden, one of the early fathers of the social gospel movement in the early 1900s, argued for social salvation in his book, Religion and the Social Question. Quote, we shall get a little nearer to the heart of the social question when we begin to ask whether the answer to it is to come through the individual or through the social organization. Where shall the remedy be applied? Is it the men and women who most need healing and restoration, or is it the society in which they live? The theory of orthodox Protestantism puts the whole emphasis upon the individual. It has no hope of saving society except as it saves the souls of individual men and women. End quote, page 6. Washington Gladden argues that Orthodox Protestantism fails because it does not expand salvation to society and that Christianity is largely rejected because of this focus on individual salvation, which Gladden states results in an essence of religion as individual righteousness, producing, quote, men and women who were humble, trustful, playful, who obeyed also all the ordinary rules of morality, being chaste, truthful, honest, and bountiful in gifts, and yet who were deeply distrusted and even cordially hated by those who knew them best, end quote, page eight. The distrust sprouted from a, quote unquote, defect, the lack of love for neighbor, which Gladden sums up love for neighbor not with fulfillment of the law of God, but fulfillment by making things right in society for his fellow man. In fact, how well you bring healing and restoration to society is the litmus test to your standing before God in righteousness. Quote, no individual can be right with his God who is not in right relations to his neighbors, and it is doubtful whether any individual can have any adequate idea of his relation to God except as he learns it in the fulfillment of his relations to his fellow men. End quote, page 12. According to social gospel proponents, Christ saved us, 
restores us in right relationship with God for the purpose of saving the world. Our ministry is to bring reconciliation through acts of social justice and compassion, and Arise teaches the same. In week one, day four, titled Restored to Restore, we read this, quote, 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God has given us, followers of Christ, the ministry of reconciliation. This is our call, our purpose, to show others how God has restored our own lives, and to bring his power of reconciliation to the world. A huge part of this is fighting for justice, for the image of God to be recognized, protected, and valued in every human, to fight for the dignity of every human created in the image of God. End quote. It is the church that rightly handles the word of God that establishes the truth of the dignity of every human being. Only the biblical worldview and justice rooted in God's law upholds that dignity. But notice the ambiguity in the statement, quote, to show others how God has restored our own lives and to bring his power of reconciliation to the world, end quote. If Equip states here that our purpose is to show others our restored life by bringing his power of reconciliation to the world through bringing peace and restorative love. Listen to this clip from week one, day four. I wanted to talk about that for a minute, turning a blind eye. It seems that because of the sheer amount of that, we, we become overwhelmed, we cope, and um, considering that the number one thing that the vulnerable need is to be seen. They need to be seen. Um, and so we have been given in Christ, we have been given the message of reconciliation. We have been given the message and ministry of reconciliation, that we are bringing the message of peace out into the world. This is profound, that God would give us this ministry, and this is our charge here on this earth, that we would go out um, and share this message and ministry of peace, um, of sacrificial, restorative love with God's children. Fighting against the injustices described in day three that we read and bringing peace and restorative love to the vulnerable is our ministry. It is how we restore the world and is what Arise means by Ministry of Reconciliation. Exalting the dignity of human beings is not performed through the proclamation of the gospel, nor even through the enactment of God's law in the social sphere, 
but by bringing in reconciliation through fighting for justice. We shall, and bring his power of reconciliation to the world by recognizing, protecting, and valuing the image of God in every human through acts of justice or what Arise describes as restoration. But this is not how scripture talks about reconciliation, not even in this passage that they quoted. All this is from God. It's God's work, who, through Christ, reconciled us. Again, God's work and accomplished to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. We are reconciled because God does not count our trespasses. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are entrusted with the message that in Christ, God does not count our trespasses. We do not bring his power of reconciliation through acts of compassion and justice. Our compassion, our setting things right, is not the power. The power of reconciliation is the gospel. Christ brought reconciliation between God and man and man and man. This passage is stating that our ministry of reconciliation is the proclamation of the work of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Here's an example of what Arise is doing that I think will help. So you go to a doctor who runs tests and tells you that you have cancer. He performs surgery removes the cancer, and your health is restored. You are told that because you had cancer and had it removed, you now can be a light and remove the cancer from the world. You then decide to perform surgery on everyone you decide has cancer. You're not the doctor, you're not the expert on cancer, nor do you know how to do the surgery to remove it. This is not how we are called to bring restoration. Instead, we receive the treatment and surgery by the expert, the doctor who knows about cancer and how to remove it. Our job is to proclaim that there is a master surgeon who can take all the cancer away and give proper treatment so it never comes back. Showing our restored lives through good works is not what brings reconciliation. It is a fruit that proves reconciliation. It proves the power of the reconciliation that was accomplished by Christ. True good works, our love to our neighbor, show our faith in the reconciliation between God and man through Jesus Christ. It is a result of a healthy body free of cancer. The surgery, the gospel, produces a healthy body, reconciliation, and restoration between God and man and man and man. We do not bring his power of reconciliation to the world through fighting for justice. We bring his power of reconciliation through the proclamation of the gospel. Sanctification is the fruit of being reconciled to God. And in the work of Christ's sanctification, we will act in love to all, not just the poor, oppressed, and marginalized. So if one wants to enter into the ministry of reconciliation, one need only start proclaiming the gospel. 
But because the church has not been accomplishing its mission in fighting for justice, the church has to become aware of how we have contributed to injustice and repent and enter the fight, according to Arise. Back to Arise's week one, day four reading. Quote, We are aware of the fact that the church has committed injustices throughout history and still presently. Since imperfect humans run the church, this is not surprising, but it does not excuse the atrocity. The fact that the church, God's beloved community, has at times supported, allowed, and dismissed injustice is absolutely devastating. Collectively, we must repent and work hard to make the wrongs right and to bring God's restoration to the world. As his people, we ought to be the first to try to make these things right for those around us and those to come. End quote. Because the social gospel focuses on social problems, it results in a collective and corporate way of looking at sins. Sins of one group against another group. This is a breeding ground for social justice and an open door for certain critical theories. A critical theory is any approach to social philosophy that focuses on society and culture to attempt to reveal, critique, and challenge power structures. With roots in sociology and literary criticism, it allows that social problems stem more from social structures and cultural assumptions than from individuals. That's from Wikipedia on critical theory. The collective groups of those with power sin against those without power. This could be racial power, gender power, class, age, etc. You start pointing injustices to a corporate group, you have to call for corporate repentance for reconciliation. Now, I wonder about the heart of a woman who reads this, one who sees injustice and thinks of ways the church has committed or been complicit in acts of injustice against a people group. Take, for example, the highly volatile discussion on abuse in the church today. Many claim the cause of abuse to be complementarian teaching. There most certainly is an outcry for the church to collectively repent of this teaching and set things right. But how do I, as a woman, enter into this fight to bring justice? How might my husband enter this fight to make it right? Collective repentance sets up problems. First, the collective will decide what is the sin, where the injustice springs from, and second, the collective then decides what is repentance and what it looks like to repent, what are the fruits in keeping with repentance of that sin, and how the offender and the offended may be reconciled. Played out for the individual, the collective repentance claim will produce acts performed in guilt to make right sins not committed by the individual, instead of true repentance producing acts performed in faith to God and love to neighbor. Scripture is clear. In Ezekiel eighteen fourteen to 20 we read, Now suppose this man's father, a son, who sees all the sins that his father has done, he sees and does not do likewise. He shall not die for his father's iniquity. He shall surely live. As for his father, he shall die for his iniquity. Yet you say, why should not the son suffer for the iniquity of the father? When the son has done what is just and right, and has been careful to observe all my statutes, he shall surely live. 
the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Neil Shenvey, in his article, Do Whites Need Corporate Repentance for Historical Sins?, addresses the claim that whites should repent to blacks for the collective sin of white privilege. In it, he briefly tackles collective corporate repentance. Listen to what he says about this passage and social justice claim that collective repentance is biblical. Quote, any doctrine of ancestral guilt must account for the proper exegesis of these passages. If sin cannot be transmitted from parent to child or from child to parent, how much less can it be transmitted to us from unspecified strangers whom we have never met, who have no connection to us, and whose actions we abhor? It should be pointed out, even though it should go without saying, that the son who is personally innocent of his father's sin is nowhere exhorted that he still needs to repent for his father's sin, because where there is no sin and guilt, there is no need for repentance. The frequently cited texts on corporate repentance speak about current and ongoing sins, not sins of the past that have ceased. The language is actually quite explicit in these passages. From the days of our ancestors until now, our guilt has been great, Ezra 9, 6. Confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, I and my father's house have sinned, Nehemiah 1, 6. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a reproach to all those around us. Daniel 9, 5-6 and 16. When his prayer is finished, Daniel comments, I was speaking and praying, confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel. Daniel 9.20 It is important to note here that Ezra, Nehemiah, and Daniel are confessing their own sins along with acknowledging the sins of those they are representing. The correct analog to Israel's corporate confession is the church's corporate confession that she has failed to keep God's commands. As God's new covenant people, all Christians can confess that they have failed to keep God's commands, failed to admonish one another in love, and failed to bear one, another bur one another's burdens. But that reality applies to all Christians, not just white Christians or black Christians or male Christians or female Christians. And we must underscore, in the context of corporate confession, there is only corresponding guilt and accountability of sin for any specific individual to the extent that the specific individual actually sinned. End quote. What Mr. Sanvi is stating here that is pertinent to this is that biblically we can repent in a sense that Christians have transgressed the law of God. Collectively, we all have that in common. 
But nowhere in scripture is there a sense that because a specific injustice has occurred and certain people within the church have committed that injustice, must the whole church repent of that injustice and do what if arise claims, quote, to work hard to make the wrongs right and to bring God's restoration to the world, end quote, and that, quote, as his people, we ought to be the first to try to make these things right for those around us and those to come, end quote. This makes restoration a work of the church, a work where the church intervenes whether they were complicit in the injustice or not. Now, I'm not saying that individuals within the church cannot work to bring about laws that are more just or work for nonprofits who fight against slavery or work to feed the hungry and assist the poor, etc. But Arise exemplifies the good works as a mission of God's people, which you will not find in God's word. Instead, scripture exemplifies the proclamation of the gospel and making disciples of Christ as the mission of God's people. Christ's disciples are led, then, by the Holy Spirit to vocations. Not all vocations fight against injustices in this work, but all those who have the Spirit will be conformed to Christ, progressively sanctified, working toward righteousness of whatever vocation God has called them to. The more righteousness there is within all vocations, the more just a society will be. Bottom line, gospel is the power unto salvation. Romans 1.16 Salvation is not just being saved from wrath, but saved also from our own unjust behaviors and brings us individually to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It brings reconciliation and restoration. Instead of urging its readers to focus on this and upholding God's laws as how one can bring justice and righteousness into the world, Arise draws our focus away from proclaiming the gospel to focus on how we might perform acts of compassion towards the oppressed, marginalized, and outcasts. While Arise claims the church commits broader acts of injustice, Mr. Shenvey explains that true biblical reconciliation draws out problems with this idea of a group of people repenting to another group. Quote, The doctrines of corporate guilt and repentance will have serious effects on the health and unity of the church, particularly with respect to how we approach the issue of racial reconciliation, and I would say, really, any reconciliation. But back to the quote. Biblically, there are two macro understandings of reconciliation. The first type refers to the reconciliation that Jesus accomplished on the cross, which takes place primarily between God and human beings. 2 Corinthians 5.19, Ephesians 2.16, Romans 5.10, Colossians 1.20, etc. And secondarily, between Christians and other Christians, Ephesians 2.14, Galatians 3.28, Colossians 3.11. We have been, past tense, reconciled to God through Christ, and we have been, past tense, reconciled to each other through Christ. This reconciliation was completed once and for all, through the cross and resurrection, and must be the basis for all efforts towards Christian unity. The second type of reconciliation the Bible discusses involves the cessation of hostility and the restoration of fellowship, which needs to occur whenever a relationship is wounded due to sin. 
When any person has sinned against another person in time and space, there does need to be a practical expression of repentance, forgiveness, and reconciliation. Matthew 18, 21-22 and Luke 17, 3-4 Interpersonal reconciliation and the full restoration of relationship can only occur when the sinning party has confessed his guilt and has repented. Moreover, if the sinning party professes repentance but does not bear the fruit of changed behavior, there remains a question of the genuineness of their repentance. End quote. Now, if we apply the biblical interpersonal reconciliation process to the collective group, you have several problems. First, to restore the relationship, you have people within the collective in Arises Claim the Church who must confess to injustices they have not committed and must pledge to bear fruit in keeping with that repentance. In what specific way should I change my behavior or what fruits should I produce when I have not actually committed a sin? Second, how can we determine whether the group has borne enough fruit? How is reconciliation made if all do not repent of the injustice? What or who determines if true repentance has been achieved. Mr. Shenby gives an example of one people group oppressing another group and how the early church handled it at that time. Quote, At the time that the New Testament was written, the Roman Empire was actively oppressing Jews and crucifying them by the thousands. Yet, Roman Christians were never told that real reconciliation could only occur after an extended period of confession, repentance, and justice. On the contrary, the New Testament church was told that reconciliation had already taken place once and for all, and that they were all one in Christ. John 17.22, Ephesians 2.14 While actual personal sin can remain a barrier to reconciliation, and while our sinful mutual mistrust may take time to overcome, it contradicts scripture to claim that reconciliation cannot be achieved until ancestral sin, much less the sin of historical strangers, is confessed and repented of. End quote. From ShenvyApologetics.com, article, Do Whites Need Corporate Repentance for Historical Sins? Does a church need to collectively repent of injustices? Do I need to repent for a group of individuals who may have committed acts of racial hatred or any other acts of partiality performed, even if they were performed by members of the church? No. Scripture is clear that each person is responsible for their own sin. Do I need to bear fruit in keeping with the repentance of others who have committed these injustices? No. I do not need to make right the sins of others, and it most certainly is not how we bring God's restoration or reconciliation to the world. I would venture to say that restoration is not achieved through the church collectively repenting and making things right, not only because it is not right to repent of something you did not do, but also places a law on those who are not guilty by stating one must repent of the sins of others and fight for justice to make things right on behalf of those who did sin. Arise teaches that to restore, we not only need to repent and make wrongs right, we must also be unified. If you listened to last week's episode, we looked at what If Arise teaches and doesn't teach about the image of God. 
In it, you heard Jenny Allen state that it is biblical to, quote, see Jesus in everyone, end quote. And Holly Burkhalter make the claim that all the rejected are brothers and sisters of Christ. It is through these statements and slight implications that Arise teaches that all are unified because they are made in God's image. It does not distinguish between being unified and treating someone with dignity. Scripture makes clear the disunity between those in the light and those in darkness. We are not called to be yoked or unified with unbelievers, 2 Corinthians 6, 14-16. Under the heading Unity, Arise states this in week 1, day 4, titled Restored to Restore. Quote, the mindset that produces injustice is an I'm better than you mentality which breeds power, superiority, and division. This goes directly against the message of Ephesians 4, 1-6, where God calls us to pursue unity by treating one another with kindness while remembering that we are all one in Christ. Not honoring the image of God imprinted on every human is incredibly damaging. It's the exact opposite of the unity God calls us to in Him. We are family, kin, brothers and sisters, heirs to Christ, every last one of us. Let's live out the freedom we've been given and work to set others free by the power of God. Throughout this study, we'll see how Jesus embodies restoration and how He calls us to the same even in our brokenness. End quote. Here, if arise has connected a passage talking about the unity found only in the body of Christ, those who have been chosen to be holy and blameless, Ephesians 1.4, those who heard the gospel, believed it, and were sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1.13, who were dead but are now alive, Ephesians 2.1-5, those who were separated but are now brought near by the blood of Christ, Ephesians 2.12-13. It is these that are being made into one new man, reconciled to God, having access in one spirit to the Father, Ephesians 2, 11-18. Arise applies the unity that comes from being in Christ to all who are made in God's image, to all of humanity. While we are called to treat everyone equally, true unity is only found in Christ. I cannot, and I'm not unified with someone who bears the image of God, but is not in Christ. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them, and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separated from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. 2 Corinthians six fourteen to 7, 1. See the difference between what Arise teaches and what Scripture teaches here? Arise teaches that all are God's children, all are one in Christ. 
that, quote, not honoring the image of God imprinted on every human is the exact opposite of the unity God calls us to in him. We are family, kin, brothers and sisters, heirs to Christ, every last one of us, end quote. While scripture states that our disunity, our separation from the world, our separation from those that walk in darkness, is what identifies us as children of God. God welcomes those and is the father of those who do not unify with image bearers, who do not trust Christ and continue to walk in darkness. As scripture says, those who walk in the darkness are darkness, and those who walk in the light are light. But this does not make me better than one who is in darkness, because I was darkness before I was saved by Christ, and because I was in darkness and have been called out of it into his marvelous light, I separate myself from it, walk in the light, and desire my neighbor to come to the light as well, and I act on that desire by proclaiming the light is available to all who would believe. So, my conclusion for this episode. Arise teaches that the darkness is outside of ourselves, and the light is our fight against the darkness. Scripture talks of the darkness residing within, and the light being Christ, who exposes what is in the dark, our sins and transgressions, which defile us. To be in the dark is to not have the knowledge and understanding of Christ, who cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It is to pursue unrighteousness, sexual immorality, covetousness, sin and anger, speak falsehoods, and talk with foolish and crude speech, steal, be lazy, or perform dishonest work. It is to grieve the Holy Spirit, to be bitter, wrathful, bring clamor, slander, and malice to your neighbor. While to be light and walk in it is to be imitators of God as beloved children. To fight darkness is to fight the flesh and wrestle against our sin nature. It will produce social changes that fight against injustice as more and more individuals become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Arise makes it the mission of the church to restore the world through the ministry of reconciliation, a reconciliation brought on through acts of justice and compassion. Scripture describes our problem as first coming from a need to be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, and our ministry is a proclamation of the accomplished work of Christ who reconciles us to God and each other. Arise has reconciliation as the work of the church under the teaching of restoring the world through acts of compassion, while scripture has reconciliation being a work of Christ accomplished for us. And one who is reconciled to God will be sanctified in Christ as God leads them through God's word to walk in love. Because Arise believes the church is failing in its mission, which is to bring justice and compassion, Arise believes the church must first collectively repent of all its complicity in the injustice of this world and bear fruit in keeping with this repentance. That is how the church is to make things right. Arise places a heavy burden on women, calling us to advocate for justice, urging us to add great works of compassion to make things right in this world to bring restoration and reconciliation to it. God definitely calls the nation of Israel, 
to do justice and remember the poor, the widow, the fatherless, and the oppressed. God's law is a light to the nations. It will be wise for governments to look to it. But for the disciple of Christ, for women who desire to obey all that Christ has commanded, our burden is light. One, because our calling is to walk by faith in Christ's commands as he's given in his word. Our burden is light, too, because Christ has brought redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. All that is needed for peace is accomplished in Christ. And finally, three, our burden is light, ultimately, because our good works are filthy rats to God, but because we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are credited with Christ's perfect righteousness, his good works, his acts of love, compassion, and mercy. No additional acts of ours to bring justice and compassion can improve upon Christ's perfect righteousness given to us by faith. So now we are free to walk in the Spirit, loving our husbands and children, our closest neighbors, being self-controlled, pure, working from home, kind and submissive to husbands, so the Word of God is not reviled. In this faith, God sanctifies us in the truth. God's word is truth. And that is why I pray you are in his word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk, as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me, as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.